I'm Steph Hansen, faculty at Iowa State University. And I'm Mary Janowski, faculty at the University of Nebraska. When we started our faculty positions, we quickly realized how important mentoring can be to the success of our graduate students and our programs. Using the principles of community, communication, and curiosity, we'll give you actionable tips to become a better graduate student mentor based on what we've learned during our mentoring journey. We've We've made the mistakes, so you don't have to, because mentoring matters. Hello, mentors, and welcome to episode five of the Mentoring Matters podcast. So, Steph, tell us how things have been going for you this week. Well, this last couple of weeks has been kind of rough, just like we have to learn how to be mentors to graduate students as a part of our faculty positions. We have a lot of things that we do besides research and teaching, and these last couple of weeks have been all of those things for me. So I've had a lot of committee duties. I've had a lot of advising that has occurred. And it just takes a lot of time. But I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I will tell you, I've also kind of felt the crunch. I don't have uh, undergraduate advising, but extension things have been picking up for me. And one of the things that I think has been really nice is just how easy it has been to continue the flow with the graduate students. So, I mean, we still have our weekly meetings and so I can still keep up with them. We're starting a whole bunch of projects. Uh, So honestly, the graduate students are really the light in, in this darkness, so to speak, of all this overwhelming stuff because they just kind of keep moving on and, and make the world go around. So, so I've been really appreciative of them this week. Yeah, that's uh. It's pretty awesome. I had a text message from one of mine today and they were like, well, when you have time, I'd love to hear your thoughts back on that manuscript. And I was like, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel and I'm really excited to get back into your work. I just need a couple more days. So I agree. They've been been really awesome. And I think you know we can take some credit for that, right? The fact that we've set up this community of learners and set up expectations and they really help each other out. For sure. So last time we talked about helping our students become strong technical writers. And we thought the natural progression uh, would be to talk about oral communication uh, this week. So our question of the week is, how do you help your team become effective communicators? Okay, so I think we need a caveat here first, and that is to explain to listeners that we are in the discipline of animal science, so kind of a hard sciences field. And in our field, when we're talking today about oral presentations and oral communication skills, That might be a student who has put together a PowerPoint or something like that. They're going to go to a conference or a virtual conference these days and present um, in front of those slides, right? They're going to to talk about it. So I've been thinking a lot about this because I'm teaching or co-teaching a honor seminar this semester about um, basically the art and science of science communication. If anybody hasn't read it, I would highly recommend Alan Alda's book that I should have looked up. If I understood you, would I have this look on my face? Yes, thank you. That is that is exactly it. And both of us use this in our group. You have your students, your grad students read this book too, right? Yeah, I often recommend it to my students. And I've also taught um, seminar class and I recommend it to all the students in seminar class because I just really think that it's it's great to help them start really thinking about how to be effective communicators. Yeah, I agree. Um, So I have a couple of copies floating around my grad student office. I have my own copy. 
Um, and then for this honor seminar, I decided that it would be fun to have these students read this too. And so we've been doing a lot of opening go rounds and stuff like that. So our section this week was about um, having empathy and empathizing with your audience and having just the right amount of empathy, actually, that too much can be like, oh, woe is me. And too little is, you know, it's really hard to make that connection. So I think that one of the things when we talk about oral communications is how do we make that connection with the audience? Yeah, so I totally agree with you. I think um, the audience and thinking about the audience is key, regardless of whether it's scientific talk or an extension talk, which of course, you know, would be something I'm very interested in helping my students be able to effectively communicate to, to more lay audiences. And I really just ask them to, to ask themselves the question of, what do you want the audience to get out of this? What do you want them to do with it? At the end of the day, they should be able to walk away thinking, okay, I could go and do this because of what they talked about. When we think about effectively communicating our science, I think some of the best advice I learned from you as an extension person was asking that exact question, which is really what does the audience need? So one of the conundrums is expert versus novice when we think about communication. So this idea that I am a expert in the field of trace mineral biology in beef cattle, um, but I might be talking to a group of cattlemen who have a lot broader expertise than me. They may not be experts in zinc nutrition, but they could be experts in a lot of other things, right? So we can have a really great back and forth dialogue. The same way in the classroom, I have to figure out how to effectively communicate my message to audiences who have all kinds of levels of understanding. We can use that in everything from a technical audience at a conference that our students might present at to, you know, sitting on the back of the tailgate, having a conversation with a farmer in some cases. Yeah, so expert versus novice is a great one. Um, we talk about really just the trouble of having that knowledge and forgetting what it's like not to have that knowledge. And so that's one of the things I emphasize as well is you got to put yourself in their shoes and think through what would they know and how do you build on it instead of thinking about what you know and building on it. And some of the students that do the best job uh, really do a great job of just being able to say, okay, I'm going to start here and I'm going to build their knowledge up to where we can talk about whatever the concept is that I really want to talk about, but I've got to start where they're at and I've got to help them see how these things connect. Otherwise, they're not going to be able to follow me. I think that's really hard for brand new grad students, especially um, because they themselves just became an expert in this field. It's very stressful for them, right, to figure out how to effectively put together this message about their baby, right, their, their research, their heart and soul, and how to communicate that to people who have a very different level of understanding. So what are some of the things that you have done, especially thinking about graduate students in terms of um, helping them approach effective science communication? Well, one thing that we've done is, of course, we'll have a meeting and we'll just talk through ideas like this about effective communication. One of the best things I have done is, when, especially when I get a group of, of newer students in, to actually have a practice session where I just have them develop a talk on something that they might find interesting or useful for them to have some back, more background knowledge in, you know, for their future and they develop a presentation trying to use the concepts that we talk through. And then I have a um, document where their peers assess them. 
And in the assessment, they have to answer specific questions. One of the questions, what's the top three things or what's the three key messages the presenter was trying to convey? And I think that's really helpful for the presenter when they get that back. If if it's not clear the message you were trying to give, that comes across really clearly to them when they start seeing what, what everybody's talking about in their top three messages. And then I also ask them about things about what they did effectively, what they might consider uh, suggesting changing in the future. And then another one that I think is really, really useful is a question where I ask their peers really to say, what did what did this person do really well that you think you're going to try to incorporate in your next presentation? And I think that really helps give the the presenter confidence, right? But it also makes the peers really think through what was really effective. And I think it helps everybody. And then I also have um, the student who presented kind of do a self-assessment and I ask them questions in there as well. And I think just making them focus more on the presentation rather than the content. Uh, A lot of times when I give feedback on, you know, their scientific presentation, I, I spend a lot of time on content right? A lot of time on the science. And I have those other ideas in the back of my mind. And of course, I bring them up. But in this case, we are solely focusing on how to be an effective communicator. And I think it really sets them up for their future presentations. How about you? I think one of the ones that I would reiterate would be um, keeping the KISS principle, keep it simple, stupid. And, and that's, that's hard right off the bat, just trying to talk about hard science. One of them is being aware of jargon. And so know whether or not your audience is going to already have the same level of vocabulary as you, you know, can I, keeping your message to these three things. So what are the three key points, like you said, that, that you want to, you know, get there. And then, you know, because it's better that they walk away with three things that they learned than all they remember is the blur of your slides flying by. One of the things that I really like to talk about with students across all stages is focusing on uh, the story. And again, in our field, we have master's students and then PhD students. And there's usually a distinction, right, in maturity and how comfortable they are with their science and everything there. To me, I can tell who I'm watching most of the time just by how they have folded in their results to the existing body of literature. So I don't want to see a data table and they read off a line of numbers and tell me whether it was significant or not. I want them to say, our hypothesis here was this. And we found this, and this fits very well with these three other folks that I already told you about in my introduction. Or in contrast, it didn't happen at all like we thought it would. And and here's this other piece of evidence from our body of literature that suggests maybe that's why. And so then the follow-up question should be this, right? So as an audience member, I can watch anything and be engaged in that if that student does a good job of tying in their results to that existing body of literature. I totally agree. And I would... I would also suggest the methodology, when they explain the methodology, again, if they tell us the story, tell me why you measured these things and why you did what you did. Because a lot of times there's reasoning behind it, right? It's not, it's not just, oh, we just did this. It was, we measured this because we were thinking that this might happen. And so we were interested. And that helps bring everybody to the same point, right? So if I'm not familiar with that methodology, I may still not know how to do that methodology, but now I know why you did it and what you were trying to accomplish. And so when you go and show me the results, I now have some context for it. 
Yes, I can't emphasize that enough. Um, in my honor seminar last week, we were just talking about um, oral communication. And that was one of the points that I made in there too, right? Which was, I don't need to know that you added two milliliters of solution A to solution B and it changed to blue. That doesn't matter to me, right? I'm not even sure I need to know the assay name. I need to know that you did the protein assay because you had this specific question, right? And so tying that back to your story. I also think that your comment about keeping it simple, telling them a story makes it so much easier to remember and to follow. I think one of the things that um, certain disciplines like the basic biology fields do so well is this idea of telling us the story. Well, this, this child got sick and we couldn't figure out why. And then we figured out that it was this gene for copper transporter X that nobody would ever discovered before. And we did a series of knockout trials and, you know, all these other things that happened. And at the end, they have figured out what the function of this gene is that was mutated in this child that created a disease, right? Like that's kind of an extreme cool example because then they could go and do therapies for that child with copper metabolism or something. Um, but they're so good at telling the story And they'll literally tell you at the beginning, I'm going to tell you two stories today. And they'll start out with some sort of like diagram or animation or something. And this is the proposed mechanism of action. And by the end of the presentation, they have shown how they did each of these different little studies along the way or each of these different experiments to by the end, with a greater deal of confidence than where they started, show you what that mechanism of action or what this proposed model looks like. And that is so cool to me. Yeah. So what you just said is they started with the big picture, right? So they got you engaged because they told you about this big problem or this issue and kind of the, that's the hook of, of the uh, presentation. And then they gave you the details in terms of what they did and what they found. And then they brought it back to that hook or that big picture and how it related. And, and that's exactly what I tell my students to do. Start big so that you grab everybody's attention, everybody's on the same page, they can understand how it might relate to them, then they can get into some of the details that they need to to help you understand um, what they did and what it means, but then always go back to that big picture and that hook and tell me, okay, now how does this apply? And I think, again, it's all about having the students concentrate on what the message is. Just because you measured something doesn't mean it necessarily needs to be in there. Um, so you, again, thinking about the story and making them say, okay, what is my story and what do I need to tell my story? So I told my students this piece of advice that my mom used to tell my sister when we were packed for vacations, she would pack her bags. And then my mom would tell her to go back and take out half of the stuff that she had put in her bags. Cause she always seriously overpacked. And students do the same thing, right? They probably need to go back and take out about a third of the stuff that they tried to cram into that presentation because they're going too fast and they're doing all these things, right? And what they really need to do is just give themselves a second to breathe and focus on the visuals, which is something I want to talk about too. Well, I do that. Um, I often, (laughs) when I put together a new presentation, I often put everything in there and then I go back and go, okay, Now, what do I really need? Because I often have too much and I need to just narrow it down uh, to my key messages. So I tend to do that as well. uh, And I also encourage my students to think that way. Okay, now go through it. Okay, what what could you take out that is not absolutely necessary for the story? Or 
what are your three messages? Are you sure that you have to tell them this to be able to get that across? Because yes, oftentimes they just try to cram too much in. Um, Let's talk about visuals. So visual aids can be so powerful, right? You can use a cartoon to bring some humor in and kind of break things up, bring in a lame science joke. Those always land surprisingly well at (laughs) most things. Um, You can bring in an animation. I, you know, the research that you and I did together with sulfur toxicity. I mean, man, we've got five or six works, five or six years worth of data that are now basically in one animation of what happens in the rumen, right? Like that, that was like five years of work in one slide now. Um, but we can explain it really well, right? And we did all the pieces along the way. So that could be a really great visual for that. When you think about helping your students prepare visuals for some of their presentations, what do you talk about? Well, I do think I agree with you. I think visuals can be very, very helpful and, and cartoons or, or comics can be great, but make sure they are on message. If that makes sense, not just a distraction. Cause sometimes like you get caught up reading the comic or looking at the cartoon to see what it's telling me. And now I've forgot what the speaker was actually telling us. Cause one of the things I, I tell the students is you, the slides that you provide should just be a background. I should not have to actually look at the slides to know what you're telling me and to understand, right? The, it should just be an aid, but it should not be a script. and It should not be necessary for me to actually see it, to be able to understand it. You, what you don't want to do is you don't want it to be a distraction rather than an aid. And so I talk to my students a lot about, again, thinking about a message and how can you use something to portray that message. So diagrams that um, allow them to explain the method in a different way, such that somebody who's a visual learner can understand it, or a picture that really shows them what, for instance, uh, for me, I do a lot of forage work, and most people have no clue what 500 or 1,000 pounds an acre of forage is, right? So even even fellow ruminant nutritionists don't really know what that looks like. And so for me, if I can so show true. a picture of what that looks like, they can, oh, okay, that's what it looks like. That's how much was out there when you started. And so I talk to the students about, you know, pictures are powerful and take way more pictures you ever think you'll need because you never know when one might be very useful while they're doing experiments or they go out and visit producers. And I can't emphasize that enough that pictures can be extremely powerful in explaining a concept. And I think another thing to think about in terms of visuals is, um, (laughs) and I see this a lot, is making sure that your um, kind of overall PowerPoint or whatever you're putting together is very aesthetically pleasing. You don't need to spend hours and hours doing this, but there are so many tools today like Canva and other websites. It is so easy to color match. And so there's no excuse to have purples and blues and pinks and all kinds of crazy, you know, colors on your slide for your, your graphs and stuff that don't match your template. You know, if you have a template from your university or whatever, try to do some color matching, work with your lab group to figure out some consistent colors that they can do. And then, oh my gosh, make sure that those are the same throughout the presentation. So if you use the gray bar for the control and the black bar for, you know, whatever your treatment was, keep it that way. It's so much easier for the reader to follow it if you use it consistently. Well, it's just like with um, with writing, right? If I have an order for my treatments in a table, keep that same order. I tell them 
when we're giving a presentation, you got to remember that you're probably going to give me 30 seconds to digest what's on that slide at most. And if, if it's a professor, it might be a minute because um, <laughs> we talk longer. <laughs> but, you know, I'm not going to get a lot of time. And so if, as you mentioned, having the same color for treatments or um, the same style, for instance, if I have a factorial or something where it's uh, two treatments that are uh, interconnected, I might want to use dashed and solid lines to designate the first level and the second level, maybe different colors, but give me something to where once I look at it, I can get it. I understand what's going on. And the next time I don't have to think about that. Now I'm looking at the data, thinking about what it's telling me in terms of the story. So don't make me reassess each time I look at a new graph because um, you don't have enough time for it most of the time. Yeah, I agree. That's exactly the benefit is that the reader can just focus on the speaker and not having to constantly use brain power to figure out what we're looking at now. And frankly, when we're looking at it, we can't understand what the um, speaker is saying because our brain is being used on the visual part and thinking about the visual part. We can't do two things at once. Yeah, absolutely. We're terrible multitaskers, no matter what we tell ourselves. I wanted to talk about the scariest part of giving a presentation if you're the student, and that is, of course, the questions at the end, right? The dreaded, somebody's going to ask me something so hard and terrible. And um, of course, we were in grad school together, so we remember who that professor was, or there was a couple of them, actually, who, if they raised your, their hand, you were just like, just... I'm just going to melt into a puddle in the floor and that will be preferable to whatever is about to come out of his mouth. <laughs> so, but we survived. And I learned a really great way to teach students about how to prepare for questions when I first started at Iowa State um, from Jim Russell, uh, who is a colleague of mine. And um, he would tell students there are only three ways to answer any question. I know the answer and I can tell it to you with confidence and I could defend it if I needed to. I don't know the answer, but I could reason my way there. And this is, of course, basically the basis for graduate research, right? Like in your defense, you're going to have to do this one, right? You're not going to know what we're asking, but you're going to be able to reason your way there. And then the third one is what happens to us all, and we own it, and that is, I don't know. And in a presentation, all you have to say is, I don't know the answer to that, but I'd be happy to try to find the answer for you and get back with you later or something to that effect, right? And it is always preferable to say, I don't know, than, than to try to BS an answer. I also talk to the students about questions. They hate questions. And I love questions because if somebody asks questions, that means that they were engaged and they understood what I was talking about. And so I, I see it as a sign of success rather than a failure. I also tell them the same thing about those answers. The difference, I would say, is... You, you know what, you got confidence, you're going to tell them exactly what you know. You're going to tell them your reasoning or your guessing here and what that means. And the third one, um, especially for when I talk to my students about extension, is to tell them, you know, frankly, you don't know uh, and you don't feel qualified to make a guess. However, you'd be very happy to help them find the answer. And that may mean just getting them in contact with somebody who will know the answer because, you know who the expert in that is. Let's meet up after the end of this presentation. I'll get your contact info and I will get you in contact with the right person. Or if I feel like I can figure it out, but I need to go do just a little bit of reading because I'm unsure of what I remember, uh, then you know I'll say I'll give you a call back or whatever tomorrow. 
And I usually do try to give myself that time frame, like make it short because otherwise you'll forget. <laughs> so I think we're probably coming up on our time here. Can you think of anything that we have missed? How do you prepare your students to be effective communicators? The number one is give them opportunities to practice. Mm, so I, like that. I think we really need to help the students get the opportunity uh, to to really just get comfortable with it because a lot of it is just getting over their nerves. And so practicing for specific talks, but also just getting practice giving talks. And those can be, as I said, sometimes we just have them do talks just for our lab group, just because I think it's useful for them to start developing those skills. I would also add giving them the time to develop their ideas and move through the stages. And I think we actually talked about it already in a previous episode, but with our group that we go through an outline process, kind of talk through what the slides would look like, let them put together a draft, give feedback on it, let them practice with their peers. You know, it's kind of this gradual climbing up the mountain sort of process so that they hit that peak performance when they're actually giving the conference presentation. Because let's face it, our grad students are out there representing our labs, right? And we want them to put our best foot forward and say, hey, let's recruit the next awesome grad student who's going to come. And we want them to get jobs, right? So they're out there networking and somebody's saying, man, did you see that student from so-and-so's lab give a presentation? It was really great. And you want somebody to be like, oh yeah, they do a great job with their students, you know? And that's that's how we get our, our grad students out there. Yeah, I would say that even if a student really knows their stuff, if they can't effectively communicate it, it comes across as they don't know their stuff. So yeah, helping them to realize the importance, but not scaring them uh, away, right, by overemphasizing the importance. I think it's a fine line. So practice is key. Okay. Well, thanks for joining us today. Uh, We would love to hear from you. Our show is on YouTube, and the link is in the show notes. Use the comments section to tell us your thoughts on the question of the week so we and others can learn from you. As a reminder, the question this week was, how do you help your team become effective communicators? Thanks, and we'll see you next time.